Hi, this is Michael Ellsberg, and today I'm going to be teaching on the topic of loving the unlovable within, making deep peace with yourself. And I've been guiding people on personal development for many years now, and I've been on my own personal development journey for much longer than that. And the topic today is very dear to my heart. I believe that this topic is the most basic aspect of personal development. And if you have this one in place well, every other aspect of your personal development flows so much easier. And if you don't have this place and you try to do a bunch of other personal development stuff without it, all the other stuff becomes very challenging and sometimes can even come to a complete standstill. To begin, I want to explain what I mean by the term unlovable. Now, obviously, I don't mean that I actually believe that you have unlovable parts or that these parts of yours are unlovable within you or within me. But what I mean is that we have these parts that feel unlovable. From the perspective of the part within us, it feels like it is not worthy of love. And I believe everyone has this. I don't know for a fact. I haven't surveyed every human on the planet, but every human I've come in contact with yet, including myself very much so, uh, seems to me to have a part that is very dark, that does not believe it is worthy of love, that doesn't believe it is enough, that doesn't believe it deserves unconditional love, and is uh, very self-critical, feels that it does not measure up. So I'll refer to this part as the unlovable, even though obviously I, I don't believe that view that it's unlovable. Um, and I'll also refer to it as our darkness, our shadow side, the darkness within, our negative thoughts, our negative emotions. It's all getting at the same thing. And throughout this program, I'll be making a distinction between two basic orientations we can have towards the unlovable, towards the darkness within. And the first orientation is one towards transforming the darkness, the unlovable, into positivity, turning the darkness into light, if you will, purifying it, healing it, getting rid of it, pushing it out, having boundaries against it, somehow getting rid of it or transforming it so that it turns into positivity. And the second orientation, which is the one we're going to be talking a lot about in this program, is towards letting that negative side, that unlovable side, be there, but simply practicing loving it without any requirement that it change, a kind of unconditional love towards the unlovable within us. The first orientation is more of a conditional kind of love. It's like, well, we'll love that part if it changes. We'll love that part if it uh, stops acting up so much. And this is very understandable why we want to go there because those parts of ourselves are so unpleasant. So this is very natural. We all have lots of negative and thoughts and emotions. I've certainly had more than my share. I had a very tumultuous 20s, which I've written about in 
my article, How I Overcame Bipolar 2 and Saved My Own Life, which is on the Forbes website. You can look it up. So I've gone through all kinds of negative, dark, deep emotions uh, to the point where, as I describe in that article, I was contemplating taking my own life around the time of my 30th birthday, just before. And even without having gone to such extremes of being suicidal, most people who come to any kind of personal development or their own spiritual path often start from a place of having some kind of sense of dissatisfaction or unsatisfactoriness about their life and all the negative emotions that come with that and negative thoughts and a sense of not being enough and wanting to change some area and essentially make their life better in some area by by transforming all that negativity into positivity. And we're going to be taking and exploring a different path in this program. And that path is simply adding love to the negative and to the darkness and to the unlovable side of ourselves or the side that we believe is unlovable. And this is subtly different than transforming them, but the difference is quite important and has very large effects in how easy it is to implement. If we are intending to transform our negative thoughts, then whenever they reemerge, we will in some sense have failed or feel that we have failed because we've done all these programs and meditations and chants and affirmations and whatever it is, aiming to transform the negative, and then maybe we go to a workshop and we feel amazing and we have these huge breakthroughs and we feel so good and high, and then we come back to our daily life and on Monday morning we get in a traffic jam and then at work we get into a fight with our boss and then in the evening maybe we get into an argument with our significant other and all of a sudden the negative emotions are back and we think, oh my gosh, I failed. I haven't transformed them. I thought I had transformed them, but now I'm back. That's an experience that is familiar to anyone who's done personal growth or gone to workshops. You can call it the workshop blues, the Monday morning workshop blues. And some people get really, really serious about their efforts to transform the negative thoughts and they want to seek enlightenment where they have enlightenment as some idea where they're never going to have these very human dark emotions. They're, they're so wanting to escape those dark emotions that they actually are seeking to be in a place where they never exist, the dark emotions, and they've transcended them. The challenge is that these are very much a part of our human experience. And my belief Now, I've been here 37 years. I've gone through a lot in my life. My belief is that they will always be there in some degree. And the attempt to transform them backfires for one reason I've already said, which is that when you have an intention to transform these negative beliefs and then they come back, you feel like you failed and all of a sudden... You have more negativity because now instead of just having the negative 
feelings and beliefs, you have this additional layer on top of it, which is the layer of having failed at transforming them. And having spent all this money, invested all this money in a personal growth modality and it not working because the, the things that you were trying to run away from or transform are still there. And the second reason it backfires is that the very attempt to transform this part of ourselves has implicit in it the belief and assumption that those parts of ourselves are bad and wrong and therefore must be transformed. Now, it's understandable why we think they're bad and wrong because they're rather unpleasant in and of themselves. But as soon as we get interested in or sometimes obsessed with transforming these things, we're adding wrongness to them. They're saying these, we're saying these emotions, these dark thoughts, these parts of ourselves that feel unlovable shouldn't be there. And so there's a subtle shaming that happens on top of the dark emotions that adds this secondary layer where we're wanting to run away from these things because we think they're bad and that that additional thought just adds more badness to us. And it creates this paradox where we're wanting to go towards positivity and love, but the very starting place of that effort is a judgment towards ourself that this part of ourself is bad. So we're, we're starting a journey to love with judgment and negativity towards a part of ourselves, which, in my opinion, dooms the effort from the very start. And I see lots and lots of people who have been going for years on paths to transcend, to transform the negativity within. And they often get kind of stuck or they reach a plateau and they can't figure out why the stuff that they're trying to transform keeps coming back and why they keep having these emotions. And I've come to the belief that the stuckness and the plateau actually comes from the fact that the effort to transform it itself started with the very negativity and judgment and shaming of oneself that was actually trying to be transcended. It's like trying to love somebody by hating them. It's just the, the wrong tool for the, what's called for, and it's doomed from the start, in my opinion. Any personal development system or spiritual path that has as its goal the transformation of these dark parts within ourself and has as the metric of progress towards that goal how much of the darkness we're feeling. So the less darkness we're feeling, the more happy, happy, joy, joy we're feeling, the better is probably going to start at some point to feel like a failure because those parts of ourselves are there. And they keep coming back and they come back again and again and again. And then what happens, and this is the key problem, is then because you've adopted this approach or this philosophy and maybe you've invested money and you've spent money on a coach or you've bought an expensive weekend, you start to feel like a failure. So you start adding more negative 
on top. You start adding negative about the negative. You start feeling ashamed that you're ashamed and angry that you're angry or ashamed that you're angry or angry that you're ashamed. And you have this meta layer, a, a layer of negativity that is about your negativity. And then it can really go into a place of total stuckness when you start heaping more shame on yourself uh, because you didn't succeed in transcending the shame and the darkness within. So what I found is if we can really commit to not heaping that second layer on ourselves for having the darkness within, for having this unlovable part or seemingly unlovable part within us, if we can avoid the secondary layer, it's much easier to work with the primary layer, the, the original feelings of unlovableness. And I'm not going to promise you that you're going to get rid of them. I've, in fact, I've said explicitly that you're not going to get rid of them. But what I can promise is that when you commit to a practice of loving these parts, they don't go away, but they are less prominent. They're less active. They're less overwhelming. They don't trip you up. And in fact, they can be kind of pleasant when mixed with love. There's a creative tension that arises when you have these dark emotions, unlovable parts mixed with love. There's almost a paradox. There's an energy that comes from overlaying these two seemingly contradictory states, love and unlove. And I would put that most great creative work comes from some version of that tension. It would be very hard to create poetry that didn't have a nod to the dark side or to create art or painting. And that doesn't mean we have to adopt the stereotype that the only great art can come from people who are you know, on the verge of suicide and having great you know, horrible mental crises in their lives. But there is a, a tension that I believe is the impetus to creativity and to art. And I call this state that we're going to be going for, I call it a state of richness. Richness, when used in a phrase like the richness of a novel's language or the richness of flavor, does not mean that there's a lot of one thing very strongly. It means that there's a lot of different things working together to create a certain flavor or a certain texture. And... When you learn to love the unlovable, you come to a very rich and I believe potent state where there are these different emotions operating within you and it's okay for them all to be there and it's okay for that unlovable part to be there. And when you make it okay for that part to be there and no longer try to escape it, paradoxically it becomes less active it becomes less prominent if you think of it like a mixer on an audio mixer say a dj console you've probably seen at some point uh, you can mix different sounds up and down and so what we're talking about here is turning the volume turning the slider on the love up enough that it's there and that is the prominent overtone 
Now, there's still going to be an undertone of the self-defeating negative and unlovable thoughts. But it, you can mix them so they actually play together well and create a beautiful richness of sound, to continue the, the sonic metaphor. It's when you try to turn the volume all the way down on the negative and have that as your metric where you're supposed to be by some standard you've created, you're supposed to be blissful and happy and positive all the time. And if you're not somehow you failed, um, that is where I've seen people get into trouble. And it really wasn't until I gave that up that I started healing on the deepest levels from that turmoil of my teens and twenties. And I started just living a life that worked for me. And that wasn't blissful, joy, joy, happy all the time, wasn't enlightened, but is just very human. There's just a humanness to this approach that is very relatable. People can relate to it. Have you ever met someone who's really committed to being a spiritual person or a, uh, a personal growth person? And it's really important that they're positive and everyone else is around them is positive. And if you say anything negative, they instantly try to coach you out of that thought and reframe it and give you, give you a positive affirmation. Those kind of people are actually kind of hard to be around because <laughs> they don't have room for all of us. There's, there's a sense when you're around that kind of person that they don't have room for large parts of you. And so this practice is one of having room for yourself. What we're going to practice here is having room for yourself, for all of you. And once you truly have room for all of you, the love that is in that room can become the overpowering and dominant note, the dominant flavor and once you're there with love as the dominant flavor, while still having room for that richness of the, the darkness inside, the paradox is that you actually do transform your experience. It's a much more livable, much more pleasant, much more creatively fertile experience than just the darkness. But the irony is you didn't get there by transforming the darkness. An essential part is actually leaving the darkness there. It's like one of the ingredients in the soup. It's one of the undertones of the symphony. It's like the bass track or something. And it actually is an essential part of that richness. And if you don't try to transform it and shame it and change it and transcend it, you just let it be there and you just add love. Actually, your experience overall does transform. But you didn't get there by seeking the transformation of the darkness. You got there by simply adding love to it. And when you add love to the darkness and you come to this richness of the full range of yourself with, with love as a dominant but not unique, not only flavor, it's a very grounded state. It's not an exalted state. It's not a transcendent state. It's not enlightenment. It's a very human state. It's very here and now. It's very livable. It's very functional. 
people relate to it well it's versatile it's a great day in and day out state to be in and of course there are times in life when we're going to be exalted and be blissful and be just purely feeling those positive emotions but when you practice this richness the downside gets a lot lower you don't go towards so much negativity so much self-judgment so much self-criticism you allow that to be enveloped in a larger love and that's a very grounded and livable state to be in day in and day out so what we're going to do is a short practice to get you into this state it's going to be about 10 minutes and this is a standalone practice that you can do on your own I recommend you do it every morning or at some point every day you don't need to listen to the recording every day but maybe as you start listen to the recording for a week or so and I will make the recordings of the meditations available as a standalone so you can come back to them and you don't have to listen to all the introduction when you want to go back to the meditation then we're going to talk about it a little bit I will answer some of the questions that I imagine you have uh, based on having taught this a fair amount and I know that people have a lot of questions about it then we're going to go into a deeper version of the practice that's going to be maybe 25 minutes or so and that's one that you can do when you have time but I wanted you to have two versions of it so that you can see that this is a very simple practice that can be done even if you have very short amount of time so sit in sit in a comfortable position and close your eyes and take a couple of deep breaths just to land here in your body And begin to start to notice any of those darker thoughts or emotions that might be present within you. Maybe it manifests as anxiety. Maybe it manifests as fear. Uncertainty confusion maybe there's some sadness maybe there's some anger most likely there's a mix of all these things or several of them we already are very good at richness in the dark side we can mix many of these things together at once begin to feel that 
probably feels very familiar to you. There may be a sense of darkness, of foreboding, of contraction, of closed-offness. And we're going to go one layer deeper. See if you can get in touch with that part that really feels not worthy of love within you. The part that's just not okay. There's something wrong. There's something broken in this part. Maybe it's something you've been trying to fix about yourself for a long time. Trying to go to personal development classes, workshops, buying recordings just like this one to fix and get over. Yep, it's still there. And what I'll put to you is those more diffuse feelings of sad and lonely or confused or angry are probably like scents. They're scents or whiffs of this deeper place that feels unlovable within yourself. So now I want you to put that complex, that mix of negative thoughts and feelings on hold for a moment. It'll certainly be there when we need it again. But just press pause on it or put it aside. And now See if you can find the place within you that feels love. You may be able to go there directly, just feel your heart. Or it may be easier to think of somebody that you love, a family member, a parent or child your significant other, your spouse, a pet, a dear friend, even your ideal mate that you might want to find in the future if you're single. You just feel your heart opening to that person. Once you're able to feel the heart opening and the love, 
see if it's possible to abstract away the love from any particular person to just feel the pure essence of the love. Some people find that easy. Other people have trouble with that. See if you can do it. If not, keep the image of the beloved to keep that love flowing. And now what I want you to do is go back to that mix of negative, the mix of unlovableness, and see if you can layer in, see if you can add in the heart openness to that. Now you don't actually have to love the unlovable yet. But see if you can have the love and the unlovable part in the same space. Now many people when they first try this it's a kind of disorienting state and they feel a little confused because they're not used to having both of those in the same place at the same time. And what I recommend is to just see if you can turn the dial up on the love a little bit more so that it's it's the encompassing emotion and all the dark is still there and is still detectable and present but is being enveloped or surrounded or you might even say overpowered by the love the love is a more powerful force and I would put that to you that no matter how dark you've gone and I've gone very dark love is the more powerful force and the practice here is to be with both and be comfortable with both in the same place. And if you can get into this richness where there's a, let's say you're feeling sadness. So instead of a sadness alone, which feels cut off and dark and alone and almost suffocating, when you infuse it with love, when you have the love present, it becomes much more tolerable. It's like a sad love. Think of how many beautiful songs you've listened to that are twinged with this sad love. Think of how many beautiful poems you've read that are twinged with this sad love. It's actually a very beautiful state. So just by having the love present, you go from a very unpleasant and dark state to actually a beautiful state. And this is true of any of these negative emotions say fear fear on its own is overwhelming and suffocating but fear love love mixed with fear that's what a lot of romance is we 
we love somebody and we're also afraid that they're going to go away or we'll lose them at some point. That's a very human emotion, love mixed with fear. Same with anger. Anger by its own is a very unpleasant emotion. But when you can mix anger with love, it becomes alive. And again, that's a very normal part of loving someone is that you're often angry at how they are behaving or how they're selling themselves short. And yet there's still love and you can feel that, that mix of anger and love. It's a very human, very alive emotion. So take a few more deep breaths. And when you're ready, open your eyes. Come back to the room. So we're about 11 minutes into the meditation. And if you're just beginning to get a taste of what this richness feels like, this mixture of allowing the love to be with the unlovable. That is there. You're there. This is what's available. It's totally livable. It's totally relatable. It's not some exalted state on the mountaintop, but it's beautiful. And people find it very beautiful when you're in this state of richness and they can relate to you because you have room for their whole range. If you have room for your whole range and can practice in just a short amount of time going from a cut-off feeling to a connected feeling while still having the whole range present, you will have room for the range in other people and they'll feel amazing. So you can see that in just a short period of time, you can go from the darkness there to a very livable state that's very workable and this state of richness has a quality that I call robustness it's robust to a lot of variation because you're practicing working with and being with these negative emotions in a way that is quite livable and tolerable because the love is there it gives you a range of workability throughout your day if you have a conception where you're only succeeding to the degree that you've eliminated the negative, that's a very fragile state. It can be thrown off by the slightest argument. It can be thrown off by just having a negative thought or getting into some kind of stressful situation at work, and then you feel like you're failing again. It's kind of like the difference between a boxer versus someone who studied mixed martial arts 
you know, a boxer is not used to using their feet or being on the ground. So that's why usually boxers don't win in mixed martial arts competition because someone who's studied, say, jiu-jitsu will just take the boxer to the ground and is very comfortable being on the ground and upside down in all these strange positions. So there's a robustness to the jiu-jitsu where the person who studied jiu-jitsu doesn't get thrown off when they're on the ground, whereas a boxer who's only trained in boxing would get very thrown off as soon as they're on the ground or as soon as feet are involved. And I've seen a similar dynamic where people who are very attached to a conception of spirituality that's all about the light and going towards the light and being pure get very thrown off with these normal kind of human entanglements and emotions and difficulties because their conception of what it means to be a spiritual person doesn't include those things, doesn't have room for those things. Now that you've done the practice and you have a taste for what it feels like, I want to address some questions that you might have and also some common objections or concerns that people raise when they start viewing their own darkness and working with it in this way. There's a deeper problem with trying to get rid of the dark entirely that I want to talk about, and it cuts to a paradox around this word unlovable. Loving the unlovable sounds impossible, because if it's truly unlovable, how can you love it? And in fact, why would you even want to love it? Maybe it's unlovable for a reason. Maybe it shouldn't be loved. Maybe it's supposed to be shamed or kept secret or kept inactive somehow via our repression because it's bad. And once we go through these thoughts, we can get into a whole bunch of mental tangles around well, maybe we should not love it. Maybe there's something wrong with that side of ourselves, uh, particularly if the thing that you find unlovable has to do with something that you feel is immoral that you've done in the past or some way that you've harmed someone else and you feel very guilty about this action in your past or you feel ashamed of some way you've acted in the past. Or maybe you have a fear of mediocrity and you were raised to believe and you believe now that, that you should live up to very high standards and you should always be striving for more. So there's a fear that if we love this part of ourselves, then we will go lax and we'll coddle the, the tendency to be lazy or mediocre or perhaps we will be enabling or supporting somehow or allowing immoral behavior to exist. And that's a belief that is a legitimate perspective that you have to be harsh with immoral behavior. Um, you have to always be on your toes and vigilant to maintain standards. What I found in my own life and from supporting a lot of people through their own growth is that if you start from that place of standards and trying to right wrongs 
and being vigilant about any kind of immoral behavior or behavior that that you feel is wrong or doesn't live up to to standards of excellence if you start from that place there's always going to be a tone of wrongness pervading that is in my experience counterproductive to actually righting the wrongs from the past and actually living up to the standards that you want to live up to what i found is that the starting place has to be an unconditional love towards yourself and unconditional love is not a flowery pony thing we get these ideas from from you know little infographics and cute cards and hallmark cards that loving yourself is some exalt unconditional love is some exalted state where angels are singing oh no 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 it's talking about doing loving some very dark things some things about yourself that truly do not live up to your own standards some ways you've acted in the past and i know i certainly have acted in the past in ways that i'm truly ashamed about and so unconditional love towards those unlovable parts involves something that doesn't make sense in the head but is rather an emotional state that we started to get a taste of in that meditation where you just let it be there and you don't try to change it it's okay on some level because you know what you're a human and humans fuck up and just some nod to that okayness that actually we aren't perfect beings we're quite flawed beings and starting from a place of making peace with that part now the unlovable part within us actually will reject love and in some ways the title of this talk is a bit of a misnomer I think a more accurate thing that we're getting at is allowing love to be present while the unlovable is there. <laughs> that doesn't make as good of a title. So I just went for the shorthand of unloving of loving the unlovable within. But really if you wanted to be technical about it, the practice that I'm suggesting is allowing love to be present while the unlovable is there. Because truly the the unlovable part within us doesn't really 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 doesn't believe it's worthy of love it just doesn't an image i like to use is is imagine a brooding teenager as i was and maybe you were you know at age 15 or 17 you know imagine a teenager in his room or in her room and just feels like shit and doesn't want to just feels like she's worthless and is in a stew of negative emotion and has just been dumped or has just failed at something and just feels like total shit and my sense is on some level I'm not a parent myself but I'm a parent to my own inner teenager and to the inner teenagers of the people I love my sense is that that if you just go to try to te- to cheer up that teenager inside it's actually kind of disrespecting that part it's saying there's something wrong 
you know, that part is already feeling that it's wrong. And so then by trying to cheer it up and make it all happy and, and, you know, have it force it to feel love in a way is adding to the wrongness because it's saying there's something wrong with your feeling wrong right now. And so the paradox is to be right with the wrongness. That doesn't make any sense at all in your head, in your cognitive head. And if you try to rationally argue it out or philosophize about it, you'll just go in circles. But what I'm asking is that you consider that there is a place in your heart where it does make sense. Where the wrong doesn't have to be righted. It's just there's a part of ourselves that is just wrong by its own standards, not by some external standard, but by its own judgment, it's wrong. Just like there's a part in teenagers that just by their own judgment is wrong. And my sense is that the way to love such a person is to not require them to receive the love. Part of unconditional love is to to not have any requirements about whether the love is received or not. It is truly a decision to to send love, whether it enters that or not, whether the person feels it or not. And so when I talk about loving the unlovable, that doesn't mean that the unlovable will feel it. It doesn't mean that the unlovable within will dissolve into a ball of joy or will even let any little bits of the love in. There's a part within me that is deeply committed to the idea that it is unlovable and not worthy of love. So I haven't transformed that part. I've simply added a layer around it. And adding that layer actually is transformative of my life. My life feels a lot better now that I'm doing that. Much more livable much more livable, much more grounded, much more stable moods, much more resource to achieve the things that I want to achieve in life, much more availability for other people. So there is a transformation. But here's the key point. If you start with the need to transform that one piece, that unlovable piece, you're just going to be caught in reshaming it and re-adding more wrongness to it. So the beginning of transformation has to be an acceptance of not transforming that part. Just let it be there. And we've already practiced once and we're going to practice more. There's a part of you that does not want to be transformed. And what I'm putting to you is if you stop the need to transform it, if you stop pushing it and poking it and telling it it's wrong and buying more courses to get rid of it and trying to transcend it, that is actually when the transformation of yourself begins, when you stop trying to transform that part of yourself. Then the transformation of your whole self begins because you are much more than that one part to come back to the objection around the possibility that this is coddling 
or that this approach will somehow let our guard down and allow us to get lax about our own standards or our own sense of right and wrong. On a very practical level, I do not believe that adopting this attitude leads to a laxness towards your own greatness, towards the things you want to achieve in life. I do not believe that it leads towards more immoral behavior. I do not believe that it condones behavior that you think is wrong or unethical. From a very practical place, what I found is that this practice, loving the unlovable or surrounding the unlovable with love, actually makes it much easier for me to take responsibility for where I've fucked up. Because it doesn't, it doesn't trigger me as much into that overwhelming darkness. And therefore, I don't need to be as defensive about where I fucked up. The, my self-image is not so fragile anymore that I have to protect against any sense that I've done wrong. Because if I have that sense, I'm going to go back to that place of, of overwhelming darkness. Nope, I have a robust system now that is very comfortable with that place and therefore doesn't need to defend against it so much and can I've noticed in my own life I'm much more able to to listen to people when they tell me they think I'm off or I've done something wrong or or unacceptable and and to listen and to take accountability and to clean it up because I'm not defending against this thing that I'm trying to hide, that I'm trying to not show to people that I that I want to be not true about myself. <laughs> I know it's true. I know that there's some dark stuff in there. And what happens when you just give it its due and give it its nod and really, in a way, I know we're deeply into paradox land here, but in a way, the, the, the way you love the unlovable is by not forcing it to be all lovey-dovey, not forcing it to take love. The way you love the unlovable in a way is just to give it space. Just like you can imagine in some circumstance, the best way to love a really dour teenager would just be to let the teenager be in his or her room, listening to goth, heavy metal, or whatever it is, hip-hop, or whatever that teenager is listening to, and uh, playing video games or zoning out. Um, and if you just give the darkness its space, what I found is it doesn't act up as much. You know, this is the most cliched kind of parenting idea, but I think there's something to it, is that when, when children or teenagers are acting up, it's a cry for attention. It's a, it's a sense of, hey, I need some attention. And I, I think that's true about our dark sides as well is that they, they act up when, when we try to stuff them down, pretend like they're not there, transcend them, make them wrong, get all huffy about all the growth we need to do to get over them. Then they, they really act up, and it, it becomes like a uh, Chinese finger lock, where the more you pull, the tighter it clamps down. If you just you know let let that darkness be there give it its own room let it 
let it be itself doing its thing and then you turn up the love around it so that that's the dominant note the darkness doesn't act up another metaphor i like is is um you know the 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 teenager or let's say the child that uh, wants to get in the car and is saying hey i'm going to drive the car you don't let that child drive you put the child in the back seat and you can be loving towards the child in the back seat but you don't love the child by letting it be in the driver's seat and so this is really about putting that dark side loving it letting it be there letting it be in the car letting it be in the family but taking it out of the driver's seat and what i found is that when you practice this the dark side no longer tries to be in the driver's seat maybe every once in a while it does but you get good at just putting it taking it back putting it out of the driver's seat and once the darkness once the unlovable is no longer driving your financial life or your career but it's no longer driving your relationships it's no longer in the driver's seat of what's happening for you romantically or sexually then it's okay that it's there it's not really causing that many problems and like i said it ad- it adds a kind of richness it adds a kind of depth just to take one realm in the sexual realm you know the deepest love making has room for these darker emotions and in my experience of of the deepest love making there's room for our anger and our sadness and our grief and all of it is being held in love but the love is not trying to push those things away it's you can't love them if they're not there so many conceptions of spirituality and personal growth that talk about self love or loving the darkness if you really see what they're talking about they're talking about getting rid of it but you can't love the darkness if it's not there it has to be there to love it you can't love the dour teenager if the dour teenager is not there once however the teenager the child the darkness is no longer in the driver's seat you don't need to transcend it so much cuz it's not fucking things up at that point it's when it's in the driver's seat that it starts messing stuff up in your life so the thing to do is to just take it out of the driver's seat not to get rid of it entirely and then you won't actually need to transcend it you won't need to to change it and fix it and heal it and move past it because it's not messing things up it's actually adding a richness and a depth and a groundedness personally i trust someone who is in touch with this side of themselves much more than someone who's really committed to not feeling these things and viewing them as horrible and they've got to be fixed the second they arise and got to do more mantras and more meditations to get rid of them i find someone who can go to these depths and still access love to be a more grounded more trustable person
We're going to go into a deeper practice of it now. And before we go into it, I want to make clear that you don't have to spend lots and lots of time setting aside to do this practice. I think 10 minutes in the morning is great. You'll find once you get the hang of it, it feels so good that you may want to do more. I like to do an hour sometimes in the morning, but you don't have to. And another really important thing to keep in mind is that the real practice is during the day. So this practice of loving the unlovable within is really not meant to be primarily a separate meditation that you take time away from your day to do. You can do that to practice and get the hang of it, but the real juice of it comes when you're practicing it throughout your day, at work, in your relationships, in traffic, commuting, with friends, when you encounter difficulties, the unlovable part will arise and you will have had practice surrounding it with love so that you can remain open-hearted even while the negative thoughts are there. And the third point I want to make before we dive into this practice is that in this deeper practice, I'm going to be offering different kind of tools and visualizations for accessing the darkness, for seeing deeper sides of it, and for accessing the love and for mixing the two. Um, some of these will be drawn from concepts like parts work. Um, some of these will be drawn from just basic, standard, you know, inner child type ideas that have been around the personal development field since probably the 70s. They're my take on them, my integration of them. But I want to make clear that the heart of it is not a particular process. So when we for example, do a visualization around an inner child or an inner teenager. The heart of it is not the process of the inner child and the inner teenager. The heart of it is loving the unlovable. And those are just tools to get there. But the DNA of any of these techniques or processes, the, the point of it is to get to this state of richness where there is love with the unlovable there. So don't get too caught up in any particular process around it or too attached. And if one doesn't work for you, one type of visualization doesn't work for you, then just try a different one. Personally, I've gotten to the point where I just like to go direct to accessing the darkness, accessing the love, mixing the two, and I'm in this state of richness very quickly. I can do it now within 30 seconds or so without having to visualize inner children or anything else. But that can take time to learn how to get there, so I'm going to be offering these tools in this deeper meditation. Again, sit in a comfortable place. Close your eyes. 
take a couple deep breaths to land here in your body. Find the whiffs, the scents, the hints of the unlovable that can often be detected with negative thoughts, negative emotions, darker emotions, sadness, stress, anxiety. anger see which particular flavors and notes of these different ones mixed together like a very dark wine has different flavors and notes and mixtures Now what I want you to do is think back to the first time in your life that you consistently were feeling this flavor of emotions and thoughts. This particular richness, negative richness of thoughts. So one that's very present for me is a kind of questioning of why I'm here on the planet, what my purpose is, mixed with a kind of anxiety that I haven't figured it out, mixed with a fear that I might never figure it out, mixed with a kind of pervasive dread that I'm not good enough. And <laughs> that description is a pretty good description of my emotional state when I was around 15, 16, 17, 18. I'm really through a lot of my 20s, but it started pretty consistently around 15. So whatever it is for you, it's probably like I just described a mix of thoughts and fears and anxieties and sense, sense that you're not okay. You may have different of these mixtures that are associated with, with different ages. But focus on one mixture, whichever one is most present for you recently, and think about when the first age was that you really started feeling that. could be 
among your earliest memories as you were a toddler, could be mid-childhood, you know, five or six or nine or ten. It could be just around when you're starting to become an adolescent, 12, 13. Could be mid-teenage years, late teenage years, early 20s. Usually, if we have some persistent complex of these emotions and thoughts, it's usually gotten in place by the time we're in our early 20s. So go back to that child or adolescent. And really feel that mix of brooding and negativity that is associated with your mixture. What I want you to do is, once you feel you're in touch with that inner child or inner teenager, just put him or her aside for a moment. And now I want you to imagine your ideal version of yourself as a parent. So let me be clear, we're not imagining your actual biological parents and if you are a parent right now we're not even imagining yourself currently as a parent let's just imagine whether you're a parent or not your ideal of what a parent should be for yourself your sense of parental perfection and not on the externals I'm not talking about you know whether you buy your kid violin lessons or take them to SAT prep or any of that kind of stuff. I'm talking our ideal of what would be the ideal heart for a parent to have. What is the quality of love that you want to give your child? And now just imagine... Well, first tap into that and really feel that quality of love that you want to give. And now imagine hugging the upset or distressed child within. And what many people report is when they imagine this, there is a mixture. There's the parental love and there's the, the child's upset. And you can feel them both. 
And since you're grounding yourself in the ideal parent, the, the parent in our ideal conception has more resources than the child is more in control of the situation. So the parent's love, the inner ideal parent is going to be the overtone, is going to be the dominant flavor. But still that parent, you hugging that child, you're going to feel empathetically his or her hurt, his or her pain, his or her sense that she is wrong or broken or not okay. So right there in this visualization, we've gotten to the state. We've gotten to the richness. This is it. I'm not saying this is the most exalted state available to a human being, but this is a really good day-in, day-out place to live your life from. It's pleasant, it's workable, there's a creative tension available to you when you have this paradoxical mix of emotions. It has room for the range, it's robust, it doesn't get thrown off center when the negative arises. It's a really good day in, day out state. And I would put to you, this is a better state to aim for than what a lot of people in the personal development and spiritual world aim for, which is like a pure positivity kind of state. Now, I love to access those states, but to me, they're like a vacation. You know, I don't actually want to be on vacation all the time. I want to be in the grist, in the push and pull of life, doing things, achieving things, making things happen, helping people, getting involved with my community, that doesn't feel like a vacation to me. That feels like in life, engaged, active. And it's wonderful to get to the pure light and the pure bliss. But that, that is a vacation. It's not the stuff of life, in my opinion. It's not the, the heart. It's not the grist. It's not the meat. Now we're going to take this one step deeper and we're going to experience that embrace between parent and child from the child's perspective. And when I say child, it could be an adolescent also, but I'll just say child to not always be repeating. So get back to that mixture, that complex of negative emotions. Feel the teenager, the child, really sensitive, volatile, unstable, sensitive to criticism, sensitive to failure. And now feel the ideal parent embracing 
enveloping you with his or her arms, your arms, your ideal parent's arms, embracing, enveloping the child. Feel it as the child now, not the parent, being held in that love. And you might find that there's a wall towards letting the love in. And that's okay. We don't need to go any further. We don't need to bust through those walls of love. You can get to the mixture. You can get to the richness without busting through. And it also is possible for that part of yourself, for that inner child, that dark place to let love in. So let's try what that might feel like. Just feel the love starting to enter the dark place. You might want a visualization here. When I have trouble with this, I like to visualize that the, the dark heart, the unlovable heart is like a container, like a ball. And the love is like water that starts to leak in. The ball has really been trying to keep that love out, but it's a leaky ball, fortunately, in this case. And it's starting to let some of the water, some of the drips of love in. And just feel that water filling the ball. And you might be able to get to the place where there's water totally outside of the ball, totally in. It's just submerged and full of this water of love from the parent. Keep breathing. Keep connected to your breath. If you're able to let the love in, this can be a very blissful state of being enveloped in the love. 
but I just want to re-presence that we're not going towards bliss. We're not chasing bliss here. I love bliss as much as the next person. And I do go there in various contexts in my life. But I like to practice a more grounded state which has room for the, the darkness as well. So if you find yourself going totally towards bliss, that's fine. And for this practice, I suggest keeping keeping the volume up a bit on the dark, just so it's there. It's like one of the tracks. It's like the bass track of the song. Making its presence known, but it's not overpowering anything. Now, this embrace of parent and child. is a visualization that helps people get to this state of richness. Oftentimes, in other variations of this inner parts work and parent-child work that I've worked with, there's a lot of dialogue happening where the parent is asking the child what it needs and there's dialogue. And I've done a lot of that and I think there's value to it. But I'm very interested in cutting to the heart of the matter and offering something that goes very direct. And in my opinion, as interesting as the dialogue can be and educational as it can be, it's actually not where the it's not the active ingredient. All of that actually, in my opinion, is aimed at getting to this state, which in my view is the active ingredient. Now, if the parent-child one is challenging for you, I encourage you to come up with your own visualization, if you want one, that works for you. So sometimes I visualize the unlovable as just a dark kind of ball, a ball of energy, almost like a dark sun within me. And you can experiment with it being various sizes, from a speck to... uh, you know, a large ball within you. You can play with colors. You can imagine different colors mixing together as in a watercolor or a painting. You can have a gustatory metaphor where you're putting together a meal or a soup and you have different aspects of the soup and maybe the the love is like the stock of the soup and the the um the the darkness is maybe like the bone of the chicken the chicken bone in the soup
one person I worked with, his darkness showed up as zombies. He actually felt and saw the zombies. And his love showed up as animals. And we could see where we were at in this process. If it was just zombies, that was like the darkness overwhelming. But he could then get back to the animals and the zombies partying and having fun and sort of high-fiving. And then, then the zombies weren't so boisterous. They were just there, part of the life of the party. <laughs> It'd be pretty fun to have a couple zombies at your party, wouldn't it? As long as they weren't, you know, running the show. There's one more tool I'd like to share, one more way into the richness. And this is one I like a lot. It's a little more abstract than the children visualizations or any of the other visualizations. As you feel into your mixture of emotions, the mixture of thoughts, anxieties, stress, that is probably very familiar to you, Feel yourself as a being that has this mixture of emotions. Just a, a being. Feel the, the entity, the spirit, the being of a person in your skin right now that has these emotions. Don't make it a child, a parent. And see if you can even abstract it away from all your personality around you know, your favorite movies and what you do for a living and where you live and who your friends are. Just feel the beingness. What is it like to be a being that has this mix of emotions? And there is suffering there. There is suffering, obviously. And when we encounter a being that's suffering, if we can see the suffering inside, we can have compassion. So feel the suffering inside. And then see if you can access another part of yourself that can have compassion for that being. And let the compassion mix with the suffering. So the two are there together. The being itself doesn't have to have compassion, but find another part of yourself where there is compassion for this suffering being. And feel the suffering and the compassion. But I want to make clear that all of this is just a tool to get to this essential place. which is the love mixed with the darkness. That's the core. If you can get there, that's, that's the heart of it. That's the starting place. And in some ways, that's the, the, the end place as well. It's the alpha and the omega.
And what I mean by that is once you have that, you actually don't really need anything else. You're good. You're fine. You're perfect, perfectly imperfect once you can access this state. Anything else you want to bring in your life is bonus, is extra. And when you're able to access this richness, when you're able to love the unlovable or to have it be surrounded by love, your personal development and your spiritual activities take on a different flavor. There's no longer the desperation that I'm, I'm broken and I got to fix myself. You're just, you're fine. There, yes, there is a broken part within you and it's there and it's not going to change. It's not going away. And it's fine. You've learned to be with it and not have it overpower and add the love so that it's livable and actually quite quite fertile. It's creatively fertile. So you're no longer seeking out of a broken place, out of a place of lack. And what I've found is when you no longer are seeking from that place of lack, you actually get more of what you're seeking. It's a paradox. But you've got to go through the non-lack first. You've got to get to the unconditional love first before you start reaching out for all the conditions that you want to create in your life. Financial conditions, romantic sexual conditions, creative conditions, those come into your life so much easier, I found, when you first rest in this unconditional self-love. So take a couple more deep breaths. Slowly open your eyes when you're ready. Come back to the room. There's two more topics I want to talk about before we close out the program. And the first one is how to integrate this practice with your day-to-day life. So you've gotten a taste for what it feels like. You've done two meditations into it. And now you're going to go about your day. You're going to go about your business. And you're going to find, of course, a range of emotions rising. And, of course, some of those will be challenging when you have challenges and when you're frustrated and annoyed and maybe you're mad at yourself because you're not achieving all you want to or you're stressed out or you're feeling like you're not living up in some way. So the thing to do is just to remember 
to mix the love in. And if you want to, you can use one of the metaphors. You can use the idea of turning the volume up on the love and turning the volume down on the negativity so that they're still both there, but that the balance is much more livable. Or you can go back to the inner child and give the child a hug. Or whatever metaphor you came to. You may want to practice not using metaphors because throughout our day we have such a ebb and flow of emotions it gets a little clunky to always be thinking of a volume knob or an inner child. It's actually just a feeling, a sensualization you might call it. And so instead of a visualization it's a sensualization. You're feeling this in your body, in your senses this mixture of the love into the anxiety or the stress or the sadness or the shame or whatever it is. And you may have to keep doing this again and again. I want you to get really good at spotting the negative, spotting where you go towards the dark. You know, many people that I've met in personal development paths are fairly harsh on themselves and they kind of has come to accept that because they feel that they, you know, they need to you know, keep improving and they're not getting it right and they don't know when it's going to get better. So get good at spotting the layers especially when you're judging yourself about judging, when you're angry about anger, when you're sad about anger, when you're angry about sadness, start to know, notice those meta layers where you're judging yourself for the darkness. And instead, as you know now, the practice is to not judge, but just to mix the love with the darkness. And I do this all day long now, and my days have gotten a lot more pleasant, a lot more productive, a lot more energized. All the things that I wanted or that one would want from the transformation of the negative emotions are available, and in my experience, much faster and with much more ease when you don't try to transform the negative emotions themselves, you simply add love to them. The last thing I want to talk about is how this practice, how this mindset, how this heart opening relates to other people. And to me, the relation is really clear. If you start practicing the loving the unlovable within yourself, it's not that much of a stretch to love the unlovable within other people. And I want to be very clear that I'm not talking about accepting unacceptable behavior. I'm not talking about condoning unacceptable behavior towards you or others. I'm not talking about becoming a doormat, becoming complacent. But when you can just relate to the difficult parts of other people in this very simple way where you acknowledge their darkness, which is probably very much like yours, and you have space for it, and you can, you can have compassion and send love to it, I find that that 
defuses the situation. It takes out the fight or flight and actually allows you to be more resourced and mature around asserting boundaries and around handling whatever needs to be handled around that, that stems from that person's negative behavior and thoughts and feelings. Now, in some cases, the person might not be having negative behavior that is impacting you or others, but you just don't like to be around their negativity. You see it in them. I'm personally very sensitive to the negativity in other people. But this practice has allowed me to make it much less intolerable because it's actually quite pleasant to send love to the darkness of other people just as it's pleasant to send it to yourself. So you can still assert boundaries. You can still take space as you need to. But you might find that the way you assert boundaries and the, the amount of space you need shifts when there's this overlay, this overtone of love towards the unlovable in others. I've seen lots and lots of conflicts diffuse in my life and in the lives of people I've supported diffuse quite dramatically when they're able to tap into this. And that doesn't mean dissociating from the negative, ignoring the problems. It's not what we're talking about here, obviously. But the constriction around it, the, the sense of, of doom, the sense of stuckness that can arise when we're dealing with the negativity of other people that lessens quite dramatically when you adopt this flavor and this richness into it and the last thing i'll say is that creativity is almost impossible when you're in a fight or flight state so if you're in a state where towards yourself or anyone else you're really repressing and pushing down and adding a lot of wrongness to the darkness within yourself or someone else that is a stressful state that is a fight-or-flight state and it's almost impossible to have a creative solution to any problem you have in your own life or in relationship it's almost impossible and so this practice allows you to be with the negative, but the overlay of love makes it quite tolerable and really reduces, if not eliminates, the fight or flight aspect of it. And then you can actually be resourced and creative to solve the problem. So we are not in any way talking about running from life's problems when we talk about loving the unlovable. We're actually talking about creating a basis of a fundamental state where you're quite able to 
engage with and solve the problems. And I would say that this richness is more suited to handling the challenges and frustrations of life within yourself and with others than any kind of positive thinking-based approach. Because it's very hard to interface positive thinking with a messy, sticky, fucked-up situation. <laughs> like the... the, it, the, the, the you know, to... to continue the martial arts metaphor the 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 positive thinking is like a, a boxer that has to stay upright with with perfect poise and that works well with other boxers but as soon as you get someone that that will kick you or knock you on the ground all of that positive thinking poise just goes out the window there's a value to learning how to be present and loving and open-hearted when you're in the ground and in the mess and in the mud And I hope this program has inspired you and given you some tools about how to be with that mucky, muddy side of life. And the reason I shared this is I really wish I had this teaching like 10 years ago or 15 years ago. This is the teaching that I was looking for. And I guess I just had to go through my own stuff to come to this understanding within myself and now I'm really really committed to sharing it because I believe that this is the main line this is the direct route to being okay being solid being resourced being in action this is the direct route is actually through and with the darkness and bringing it along not trying to leave it transcend it get rid of it ditch it but actually bringing it along but letting it be in the back seat instead of the driver's seat of your life and when the darkness and the unlovable is there being loved up in the back seat like the you know, the kid playing its game in the back seat or, you know, in the safety seat if it's an infant or with its iPod and headphones on if it's a teenager. Maybe it's in the back seat and it's crying and yelling and screaming. But you know what? It's in the back seat. It's not in the driver's seat. And when you can put it in the back seat, then you have space to have love be the driver's seat in your life. Just think of how much this darkness has been in the driver's seat in different areas. Maybe not in every area of your life, but probably at least one area. Maybe around your career, maybe around your money, maybe around your health and self-care and fitness and eating, maybe around your physical appearance, maybe around your relationships, love, sexuality. Somewhere this darkness unlovable has been in the driver's seat. And the way to love it is to lovingly take it out of the driver's seat and to have love driving your life in that area and in every area of your life. Thank you so much. Continue the practice, which I hope you do on your own, but also to join the community that is forming around this practice. 
If you go to lovingtheunlovablewithin.com, lovingtheunlovablewithin.com, you'll be able to find this recording and follow-on recordings that I create. I have a whole curriculum around this that I'm in the process of creating. As you can tell, I'm really passionate about this concept and its power, and I want to draw out its implications for different areas of our lives. Even though it's a very simple practice and really everything you need, the basics are here in this last bit that you've heard over the last hour and and, and change. But I'm really interested in drawing out how this practice can be used to integrate into our relationships, our dating life if you're single, Um, our sex life, career, uh, confidence, social confidence, social networking, performance at work. I really feel that this practice that we've explored in the last 90 minutes uh, has is like the DNA, the nucleus of a lot of other power that we can bring into our lives. So I hope you stay connected. There's a mailing list there that uh, I will keep you updated on classes There's a Facebook group that you can join and um, ask questions. I would love if you ask questions there um, and also, um, you know, posted comments about your experience with the practice. And the last thing is, as you go through this curriculum, you may want to have some support. And I would love to support you if you have any challenges with it, uh, any questions, if you want to know how this practice can apply to a particular area of your life or a particular challenge, uh, I would love to speak with you one-on-one. And there's a place there on that page, lovingtheunlovablewithin.com. If you scroll down, you can find a uh, way to uh, reserve and book a private lesson with me. Uh, remember when we were kids and we had uh, you know private private piano lessons and private tennis lessons and that kind of thing? Um, well, I like to offer private lessons in this practice and uh, really offer you guidance on how you can integrate it into your life. So if you're going through the curriculum as I develop it and you would like some guidance, you would like some support, I would love to speak with you one-on-one. Thank you so much, and I can't wait to see you in the community.